Joining me today is NPR senior editor Barry Hardiman. Hey, Barry. Hi, Glenn. Also joining us is writer Kat Chell. Welcome, Kat. Hey, good to be here. It's great to have you. Fleischman is in Trouble is a portrait of a failed marriage that's told, at least at first, from the point of view of the husband. Actually, the series is narrated by Libby, played by Lizzie Kaplan. She's an old friend of Jesse Eisenberg's Toby, a friendship that he let languish during his combative marriage. But now that he's divorced and trying to navigate the world of hookup apps and casual sex for the first time, he seeks emotional support from Libby and from another old friend, Seth, played by Adam Brody. Libby's sympathies lie squarely with Toby as she tells us the tale of his struggles at work and at home. The glimpses she offers us of his ex-wife Rachel, played by Claire Danes, position her as cold and money-hungry. But when Rachel disappears, we begin to suspect that Libby's perspective on the Fleischman marriage is less nuanced than it should be, and that her interest in Toby's new life as a single man might be something she's using to distract herself from her own feelings of marital doubt and insecurity. Fleischman is in Trouble is based on the best-selling novel by Taffy Brodesser-Ackner, who adapted the series herself, serving as showrunner. The series airs on Hulu. Catch out. What'd you think? I loved this. So I did read the book multiple times. I read the book when it first came out a few years back. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of Fleischman's in Trouble has just completely grown. When I first became a part of this story and first, you know, learned about Toby's world, I really didn't know if I understood it as well, but I enjoyed it. Hmm. And the more I dug in, the more I realized how meta of a critique this is, where I thought that the casting was superb. Mm -hmm. I thought Jesse Eisenberg was wonderful. I thought Lizzie Kaplan, who now I adore, I loved her in Masters of Sex. And so Mm -hmm. I was very excited to see her again. She just really brought this role to life. And of course, you know, it was great to see Adam Brody, Mm -hmm. uh, Josh Radner, and Claire Danes. I mean, what a cast. Mm. Barry, what'd you make of it? I also loved it. I also read the book and I did love it. I will say I maybe didn't love it quite as unreservedly as you did, Kat. I find it really, really well adapted. Obviously, I think that's because it was in the creator's hands. There are a couple of things that I'm not sure are hanging together as well as the book does. And one of them is that meta critique. And part of that, I don't want to give away too much because, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a story of an like an onion. It peels away so that we can, um, you know, hopefully by the end, we have an under a greater understanding of all of these main players of which, you know, Libby is one. Toby is the thing holding it together, but maybe not actually the center. Yes, he's like the vessel. Exactly. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it, Kat. Mm -hmm. I think that Lizzie Kaplan is wonderful as Libby. As a radio person, I will say one thing that I think is incredible. Her tracking is absolutely (laughs) astounding. It's really hard to do that kind of narration without sounding sort of like mannered. I mean, it's hard to do any kind of tracking. Sure. Um, But she does such a wonderful job, I think. I found her to be slightly miscast. Hmm. What I wanted was Melanie Lidsky. That was my first choice. And I've been casting Fleischman in my head, as I'm sure you have too, Kat, since the day I read it. There's something about Lizzie Kaplan that's almost a tad too young. Hmm. And I think her... Um, sort of sloppy ponytail is doing a lot of work for her, you know. (laughs) I adore Claire Danes. I think that it is the performance of the series. Mm. And, you know, I guess I feel like your mileage on this show will vary whether or not you loved the book. And if you have real, like, interest and empathy in this story, which, yes, is about marriage, but is really about aging and is about a very specific group of people aging, Mm -hmm. upper-middle-class Jewish New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I I wonder how this one plays 
you know, to somebody who doesn't have maybe the same interests as me or didn't love the book. I I do wonder about that. Yeah. Well, I'm here to say I didn't love the book. I didn't hate the book. Didn't read the book. Uh, <laughs> ah. Even though. Touche. I have always admired Taffy Bradesser Ackner's nonfiction stuff, her essays, mm. her profiles. The Gwyneth Paltrow. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't read the book because it belongs to a long literary tradition that I have feel like I put my time in with. Over the decades, and I feel like at this stage in my life, I can opt out of it when I choose, and that is rich, midlife, heterosexual hand-wringing. Goodbye, Columbus, says Glenn. The (laughs) amount of novels I've read, the movies I've seen, because kids, I feel like the giver here, that's all they published. (laughs) Yeah. That's all the movies they made. Yeah. And most of them are by white dudes, sure. But I really, really dug this up until the very, very end, which I can't talk about. So let me talk about what I can. I just think this is really smart, really sharply observed. Yes. Writing, dramatization. And even though I never read the book, I can come out here and tell you this is a great work of adaptation. How do I know that? Because whenever the narration from the Libby character shows up, it is always welcome. He had emerged that summer like a newborn baby seal with his eyes clamped shut. But now they were open. He was a student again. It comes in exactly when it's needed. It's never simply summarizing what we're watching. 100%. It's doing what it needs to do dramatically, which is to add something to the mix. Correct. That's a restraint that I wouldn't say it automatically happens when novelists adapt their own work. I think often Mm -hmm. what happens is... They don't trust the actors and directors enough to convey what's needed, so they just keep ladling on their prose and it's wall-to-wall narration. Right, because yeah, that's you what, get a cover band. You get a cover <laughs> band, exactly. So that's what I really admired. But let's talk about the Libby character. She's fascinating to me. If you don't handle Libby character well, you get a type, and the type is the kind of type that people write a lot of novels about, which is the idealist or the rebel at midlife, you know, who's refusing to come to terms with the fact that they've settled. So Mm. you get a very kind of comfortable person whose chief complaint in life is how comfortable they are or the I deserve more type of person. That is a very tough thing to make fresh and interesting. And I think she nailed it as far as I'm concerned. What do you guys think? Yeah. One of the things that both the series and the book hit on that I didn't pick up the first time is just how to tell a story about a woman, you have to tell a story about a man. Yes. And whether or not that's true, that is the book's conceit. Uh And, you know, it really gets at this idea in multiple ways that I find that really interesting. And Libby is the vessel, again, for that. Yeah, I I agree. I actually would say I don't know how many deeply observed novels in the popular imagination that played the role that Fleischman did sort of in discourse Mm -hmm. about a woman who at this point is a stay-at-home mom, is 40-something. And it's sort of important, I think, to say that this is, without a doubt, this is a feminist novel. Yeah. And the, the vessel of that feminism is I mean, it's through Rachel a little bit, but it's really through Libby, who, in order to understand herself, has to take this leap of imagination into a man's life. Again, getting Libby right, which it's not my perfect Libby, but it is a excellent Libby. Getting it right is the ball game, And it should be the moment at which the people watching this should start to think, huh, I guess Toby's not the only thing here. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. But let me say that there's a series of scenes where we just focus on Libby by herself, where I think this show rises above what other shows like it would do. You take a scene where she's the parent and she's making pancakes for the family. The kids don't want them. In a lesser show, that scene would be there to say how dissatisfied Libby feels because her kids don't appreciate her. Here, it's a little bit about that, but it's mostly about how she is not seeing her family. She is too wrapped up in herself. 
that what she sees in an act of parental love that she should get, you know, praise for, it just underscores to them that she's not paying attention. So what she <laughs> sees as an act of selflessness is actually an act of selfishness. And and so you cast Lizzie Kaplan, who's got this searching, restless quality. You make her smart about some things and not others. You think, I don't think Libby realizes how much of her dissatisfaction of her perfectly pleasant life that she chose comes to the fore when she's around Toby. You know, she sees his singlehood, her dissatisfaction becomes more pronounced. That's what the cigarettes are all about, which is a little on the nose. And it's nothing so boring as she wants him. It's just that she wants to be the person she was when she first knew him. That's what's going on there. And that's what I think is a smarter, nuanced thing that if this show was any stupider, it would be asserted more flatly. Yeah. Again, making Libby not utterly self-aware from the minute we meet her, you know, mm -hmm. making her a person, a full person who makes mistakes and whose life may be perfectly pleasant, but we recognize the parts of it that, like, aren't maybe. Mm -hmm. But watching her evolve and understand herself better is so much better than having her be just the wise kraken. I agree. Gets it. You know what I mean? Because that's that's where, like, every person here, every person here gets to be a real person, mm -hmm. even the caricatures. It was so interesting because when I first read the book a few years ago, I was frustrated because I was like, why am I reading this book about this annoying white man who is kind of a jerk? And, you know, I, he's not pleasant. He's not smart. He's just so entitled. And I was angry probably 80% of the way through. Mm -hmm. And then I was angry when I was done because I then, you know, was just like, OK, so it's actually about Rachel, the other part of the story. And it took me this read and this experience to truly understand how this was really from Libby's point of view. Uh -huh. Reading the novel again and then also watching it, it reminded me of Trust Exercise by Susan Choi yes. to some uh -huh. degree. I mean, of course, these are completely different books. No, I get but it. But there is this perspective shift in that novel that really kind of just alters your view of what happens. Mm -hmm. And what I've been wondering is, the limitations that I found for this adaptation were also similar to the limitations that I experienced when reading the book, which was mm -hmm. just like the slow boil of just how frustrating Toby is. and How much of that we get. Yeah, you really have to kind of give yourself over to that. And I guess pacing-wise, one thing I'm trying to wonder for myself and figure out is if it's worth it and if it's too slow. Let me say... I like the fact that it's Libby's narration. She is looking at Toby's life. She is affectionately making fun of him. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a lot in the writerly aspects of this show. Mm -hmm. Like if I was going to write a thesis, I would write a thesis about the metaphor of that liver patient who represents his marriage, right? Because first he idealizes her, then he completely demonizes her for no reason, and then he slowly comes to see her for who she is. That's the balance, Kat, that I think the show is endeavoring to strike with the Fleischman marriage. We begin with our thumb in the scale of Toby because Libby's totally in his corner. But as things get more complicated, I think I agree with you. I kept waiting for the scales to balance. I'm not sure... They did. I saw this as the autopsy of a failed marriage, two people who do not belong together. Mm. That was the contract I signed with the show. <laughs> Ultimately, I'm not sure the show agrees that that's what I was watching. And so at the very, very end, there was track that I didn't think had been laid, but that's baked in because I saw several critiques of the book's ending that felt the same way I did about it. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a good point. I, I will say, Kat, I think the balance is slightly off in the book, mm -hmm. slightly. However, what it allows the ending to have, it allows the reader to have so deeply imagined the marriage one way that then upon, you know, seeing more of it, 
you have to kind of examine your own prejudices Mm -hmm. when it all slides towards you as it eventually Mm -hmm. does. Do you know what I mean? Like, I certainly felt a way about Rachel for most of the book. But when feelings change, for whatever reasons, I did have to examine my own kind of problems and like and sort of internalized misogyny and internalized (laughs) misogyny about motherhood. And I think this is a story about marriage. But I more than anything else, I think it's a story about how the act of imagining another person whether we relate to them or don't, you know, in the case with Broadus or Actor, she's done these amazing things with like Tom Hanks and Gwyneth Paltrow and Nicki Minaj, mm-hmm. right? Where people who we seem to have nothing in common with, where we can feel something. I think this is a is really a story about the power of imagining someone else yes. in the most generous way you can. And she does that by first letting the reader feel somewhat ungenerous. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an interesting thing to do. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, seeing Claire Danes in this role was so A revelation. I mean, like, I don't really have much else to say besides that, but like the blunt bob or the blunt haircut and just (laughs) the facial expressions. And it was awesome. It also enables her to do the gift of Claire Danes, which is several million different kinds of cries. (laughs) You know, and I mean, like weeping and shouting and all kinds of cries. The mobility of her face when confronted with a strong emotion is almost unlike I just don't know a lot of other actors that do that. And it is so powerful for this. Yeah. And speaking of powerful, let's talk for a second about the sense of place here. I mean, this is (laughs) there's a kind of claustrophobia here because this is this Upper East Side vibe Mm. at its sweatiest and stinkiest. It is very 92nd Street Y. It's like Mm. only murders in the building is Upper West Side in winter. This is Upper East Side in summer. Mm. I love the fact that they walk (laughs) everywhere and that certain people are just sick of walking everywhere. It's very New York. It's very specific, as you mentioned, Barry. And very Jewish. (laughs) I almost busted in here with a theory having just watched The Patient uh, with Steve Carell, which is just so Jewish. And this one is also so Jewish that are we in a new age of like a certain kind of Jewish television? (laughs) I await your essay on this. I I think I need a third, obviously. Two is a coincidence. Yeah, three is a trend. Three is a trend. But I recognize the like the year away in Israel. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of familiarity with certain parts of Jewish life, you know, separate, but also a part of the Upper East Side that is such an interesting and specific way to be. Like these are three different kinds of Jews, too, Mm -hmm. you know, who come Mm -hmm. from three different kinds of Jewish backgrounds. And so that is both claustrophobic for me as a certain kind of Jew myself and also kind of lovely too you know Mm -hmm. even when it's kind of when it's annoying it's like oh look there I am (laughs) (laughs) there I am not learning my Haftarah in time you know (laughs) <laughs> well, we want to know what you think about Fleischman is in trouble. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Barry Hardiman, Kat Chow, thanks to both of you for being here. That was so fun. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support for NPR. If you haven't signed up yet and want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Candice Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music, which you are noshing some Orwashers rugula to right now. <laughs> I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow when we will be talking about the new holiday film, Violent Night.
When you leave home, can you ever really go back? Leo Messi! Soccer legend Leo Messi and I both left Argentina as kids. You know, you're that piece of a puzzle that doesn't fit anywhere. To so many immigrants, football is a way to reconnect. Listen to The Last Cup in the Embedded Podcast feed to hear the latest collaboration from NPR and Futuro Studios. This message comes from NPR sponsor Oxfam. Floods, extreme hunger, disease, war. Around the globe, human-made disasters are having devastating impacts on vulnerable communities. Oxfam believes that wherever we call home, all people deserve equal opportunities to build a life and thrive. Oxfam is fighting to guarantee a life of dignity for every person in crisis. Join them. Donate to Oxfam this giving season and help make it right. Visit OxfamAmerica.org to learn how to give today.